it served as an anchor to my soul. I anchored to you deeply. What had happened? I gathered your waters and ate your nutrients that you gave me. Not possible. And the nutrients that... Welcome. For those of you who are joining us for the first time today, my name is Omar Khuleh and also, actually I guess I'm Dr. Ona, my yeah, alter Dr. ego. O. I'm Dr. O, the alter ego, as it says there. So I'm Dr. O and I am the curator of the forum, which this year is called To Catch Flying Horses from the Sky which is a Kashmiri proverb about <laughs> the impossible, what it means to dream of the impossible. And the theme of the forum this year has been to think about what are the urgency, what are the demands that we want to ask of our community and of each other for contemporary art of Africa and its diaspora. And one of the things that we've been doing is we're building a toolkit. So at the end, there'll be a moment for you to ask questions and to engage or to make comments. And that we invite you to make comments that would be perhaps useful to the toolkit. But we also have pieces of paper scattered around and also at the back, Alex has paper and there are pens scattered that we ask you to write your suggestions, comments, thoughts, feelings and dreams uh, if you can't find it, Alex is sitting at the back there to get paper and pen from. And this session is called, well, it's called many things. Yes. It's actually a session that is constructed or was conceived as a, as a dream of a, a launch. A launch of a vinyl record that could not be. Um, <laughs> Otobong Nakanga, who is on stage with me now, is an artist who I've worked with for some time. And Otto, well, of all things, I think she's a singer. She's a singer, mm. baby. She's mm. a voice. And that voice is something that emerges in drawings, in maps, in tapestry, but also in an embodied sense. And when I first visited Ottobong in her home in Antwerp, she had just released a vinyl record. And when I asked about the genesis of that, it turned out that it was quite accidental how that experience of using the voice came to be. And then there's, there are, there's a long story to that, and we'll maybe come to that. Maybe we won't. This is, I'm in control. <laughs> I'm in control here. But, what was beautiful is that we just started to sing, really, yes. uh, on, in that space. And it's been seven years of singing together. <laughs> and when I was invited to curate the Sharjah Biennium, which was in 2019, there was this derelict house called Beit al-Aboudi. And I was working with Ottobong on a survey in the US. And I waited till the day after the opening and I said, I need you to come and sit in this heritage house, this ruin. 
And Otto came to Sharjah. It was the third time she'd been invited to be in the Sharjah Biennale. And sat in that ruin. And I said, I, I want you to just be. And at the time, I was very depressed and actually unable to do much more than to just let you be. Ottobon created something using her voice. And it was an artwork that became a permanent installation in Sharjah called Aging Ruins, Dreaming Only to Recall the Hard Chisel from the Past. It's a poem. And when conceiving of today, I was thinking of Adrian Rich, actually, and the idea of to dream of a common language. And also, I was thinking of Michelle Cliff and claiming an identity they taught me to despise. And I was also thinking of Rich's Tonight No Poetry Will Serve. And frustrated because we were meant to get this beautiful golden vinyl record which would reveal the full extent of Otto Bong's 18 hours of recording in the studio. But we were informed that well, I was asked by the person who was going to produce the, the vinyl for me, what record label are you from? And I said, um, Dr. O. <laughs> and they said, don't you know that Metallica was just bought out by Radiohead? There's no nickel to produce vinyls because of the current situation, the embargo against Russia. And, you know, you, unless you're a big label, we're only making things for the big labels. Eventually, I did find the supplier, but we couldn't make it in time. So I thought, let's listen to the four-track record, but let's do it as a kind of interplay. Because today, also, here at 154 is the only place in the UK where you'll be able to buy a copy of Underneath the Shade We Lay Grounded, Ottobong Nakanga's new monograph from her show um, at Musea Bruges. And in this book is something that Ottobong invited me to create that I thought could create a little interplay. So maybe before we begin to play or to listen together to enter the aging ruin, I wanted to ask context-wise, thinking about where we were in 2018, mm -hmm to dig a hole that collapses again, this show that we created. And then out comes from that a performance. You did solid maneuvers. And then a breakdown. Mm. Let's just say there's a breakdown. And the world kind of falls to pieces around some of us. And you're in this landscape. And what made you enter or conceive of this soundtrack and this voice, the use of the voice? Mm. Mm. I think it's an encounter, an encounter with many life forms, an encounter with emotions. And we had also a very intense moment installing the show in Chicago. And, you know, you come back to a place like Sharjah where you've been, you know, you spent one month in a place at different times and you see the evolution of that place. And when Omar said to me, this is the space I give you. I have locked down the space. You have no other choice. This is it. 
I entered that space, which was a kind of ruin. There were some trees growing at the side, but there was one palm tree. And this palm tree had a haircut. It looked like, you know, Mireille Mathieu, I don't know, from the 70s, the bob. It had a bob haircut. So I looked at this tree and I felt something very strong about this tree. Like, you know, it almost felt like a human talking to me, even though it was dead. And I felt like I wanted to give um, a voice to this tree or to be able to connect with it. But also, you're also looking at things in relation to the landscape and trying to read what that landscape is saying. And knowing that being in the Emirates, a lot of the water is taken from the sea and desalinated. That means a lot of the groundwater is being used up very fast and also the seawater gets into and becomes more salty. So there were all these thoughts I was having. And of course, the December before, I was in Senegal um, with Koyo. <laughs> and we went to see the, we flew over to see all the salt pans hanging around. And it was really about salt water um, and going on the sea. And so there were many things that were connecting such geographies like Dakar and another geography like the Emirates. And so my mind was a lot on this relationship to salt, the drinking water, desalination, the environment that's shifting, the wells that are drying. You remember we saw the wells mm. that are drying up. And so by the time I thought about the idea, and also talking with you, that was the time things were very emotional, things right. were very Raw, yeah. raw, you know, and you could feel the rawness of the person you're working with. And the tree was almost you, somehow. That tree was Omar. And so somehow that's where the ideas started growing. And I created this sound piece. I went to Berlin to record six hours per day, nonstop, almost like a performance, with mics on my neck, my stomach. I had like eight mics and just performed. And so what you will hear is only made from my body and every part of the body. Um, and thinking of the sounds that come from the neck, the chest, the stomach, the back of the head, the front of the head. And also thinking of that notion of drowning in something, that sense of losing um, sense of being helpless, um, but also that relationship to the tree begging for a certain kind of salvation. So I think I might stop there. Okay. Your softness wraps every pore, body, skin, nerve. Let's connect to place. What, what, what's that? 
It makes me crunch. Crouch. Crouch. And I'm dead. It's sex. I don't understand what you're saying. Come on. Water. Look Just drink. You can talk about the heat and scream about it. But it's not going away. It's not going nowhere. We have come from many directions. We have sipped into the world and flooded it. We are everywhere. Around in and us. We turn in the world slowly into salty fields. Pans, spans along the surface. You take parts of me, you sip it, you swallow, you gaggle, 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 slowly salting each drain and veins, and slowly you get in. Waste and waste numb. As you stand there looking down in the surface, a reflection of your skin on my skin. Ways to bend, ways to flow, ways to float. As you lay slowly, sitting, thinking, pondering, wondering, what next? Ways to strain, ways to score, ways to fall, ways to wake. The light blinks faintly, lamely, breathing on each other. You take a part of me and I take a part of you. The lights glistening on my surface slowly as night falls, dusk begins. Sweat out slowly, we wake. Through your pores, 
slowly we become something else as the sun evaporates and takes away the humidity that lays within our skin. Dryness installs. Dryness comes close. Dryness to sudden crack. As the light blinks, faintly, lamely breathing each other, we lay. Ways to brine, ways to pan, ways to fall, ways you blow and ways you wake. Slowly to the salty fields that span. You took a part of me and I took a part of you that day. After the installation, I lived with it for a long time and I wrote Autobahn often. Strange messenger, dispatches from an undelivered correspondence. March 15th. 2022. Subject, in sickness as in health, dear Autobahn, I am back near the equator. Light pierces through burnished synthetic fibers spun together to keep the sun at an agreed upon distance. Through the rectangular holes, the glimmer still scorched my skin. Earth shall meet its inevitable burnout. With these inscriptions, I am tending with the prickliest of prickles, a stabbing in my gut, mechanized in feeling. A charred soup bubbles to the surface of my throat, attempting to vacate this distended body I have not felt this volatile inhabiting my bones since living with untreated Bilharzia. It was 2006 and the expats visiting me in northeast Limpopo were swimming beneath a waterfall. They argued that this moving water would annul parasitic forces from situ. I chose to believe them and, in the end, I was the one invited to luxuriate in embodied suffering. In the evening of yesterday, with my bulbous stomach in one hand and my trembling paws jerking uncontrollably, I took myself to the American hospital. The tall lab coats attempted to proffer another form of diagnosis based on spurts of speech made out in frothy spouts. Meanwhile, the acidic sputter in me was re-ingested and imbibed. Unnerved, this apparatus jostles and shakes. A Tina Turner proud Mary. Since our first telephone call in London in 2000-something, and subsequent to our time in Chicago's bitter chill, our musical duets as well, as days spent lingering in these, the dust-laden, 
heap of betel abudi. I've been all too privy to and of these lab coats. Loftier each time, they carefully stammer diagnoses, stipulating white pills which enshrine sickness within me, a pattern of banishment forever relegated to illness. Oh, young beings, bring life to Don't me. Forget me. Don't forget me. The lands are scorched. The, the lands land are scorched. The grass the is red. Almost brown. Almost brown. Turn us to Turn green. Us to green. Turn us bright again. I, I have, have grown, grown for years. I remember as a kid I used to play. I would hear the children sing the song of the rain, each drop that dropped on my skin. I would hear them sing all around, running around me. My leaves will take the sun the sky. All children will sing even though I am dead. Don't believe what they say. You think a dead tree is dead, but it is not. I am still alive, beyond the soils that you stand on. I am still alive. Oh, children cry even though I am dead. Depends on what light you see. I am still alive. Beyond the roots, there are no roots. The answer you can see everything is solved. You are talking about we do not have the water to keep you. Oh, children, run around and sing for the rain to come. I stand by you. Oh, children, I stand by you and be a friend. When all you do not see, sing for me to remember the drip of the rain on my leaves. Even when the wind blows, let's see when the rain falls. Sing for me so I can shrivel a bit and wiggle to remember the time I was alive. When the wind blows, you hear a leaf drop. You imagine things. You are in fantasy land. Not in touch, no. Me. No, no. Oh, little one, 
The land is scotch, the grass is dry. The rooms are hot, the leaves are gone. The lands are scotch, the lands are dry, the grass is red, almost brown. Sing for me, turn us to green, turn us bright again. Subject in America. I've come to realize that your exhibition in Bruges is being held in one of Europe's oldest hospitals. And according to TripAdvisor, St. John's Hospital or St. Diane Hospital is renowned for Flemish primitive artist Hans Memling's painting. It is peculiar that they refer to a white Netherlandish figure as primitive, you see, which in my schooling was something attributed to folks like you and me, or rather our ancestors. My art historical knowledge does not date back so far to the centuries and to this tendency of so-called simplicity or sincerity. Memling seemed to also hold a penchant for producing oriental carpets, I'm informed, whose orient is worth inquiry, perhaps. The orient, as it has come to be understood, speaks to a context in the middle of the East, a visuality conjured through and by the imagination of an American naval officer. That humanity has delineated itself through a militaristic lexicon is no astonishing bombshell. But don't you think that it is time that we remind the planet's citizens and denizens that Mama Earth is not flat? There is no middle to no east. Skewed concepts of linearity are guzzled consistently here in America. In Los Angeles and in my beloved California, we swig energy drinks to muster momentum to drive to parks where we sit and stare at the land. 
the desert a site resting on fault lines, a multi-million dollar home that will one day be subsumed by the Pacific Ocean. The leaves are gone. The, the lands are scorched. The lands are dry. The grass is red, almost brown. Sing for me. Turn us to green. Turn us bright again. Sing for me, oh young ones. Run around me, let me feel the breeze. Run around me, let me feel your warmth. Let me wake up again. Sing for me. Let's stop. What does it mean? What does it feel like to hear that here? That 
that we just listened to was the crescendo of one piece that becomes animate in this heritage house, this dying palm tree. It's dead, or it, maybe there is potential for life. You've animated it. But this is usually heard in a square, in a public space, and now we're in an auditorium in London, far away, and all of those voices, all your voices, crescendo there, with the intervention of a small group of young children singing a rain song for Sharjah, summoning the rain, which has, for me, now become a really poignant subject because of this knowledge of clouds seeding. Seeding, yes. What does it mean to you to hear it out of that context in a different space, but still with people? Yeah, we always make work that is meant for a specific place somehow, especially when you're considering the geography of the place and you're considering the histories, you're considering the geology, you're considering the ecology of the place. But at the same time, we all know what rain is. We all know how that feels on the skin. We all know also what dryness is. We know what the heat is. We know we have that feeling it's in our bodies, it's in our pores. So shifting it from one place into another kind of brings back, triggers maybe, the memory of something, an experience, a thing that you felt, that you've seen, or that you've actually been through. The song sang by the kids, the tree was begging the kids, sing for me, sing, sing, calling out, I need you to sing to me. I'm begging you to bring back rain. I'm dry, I'm thirsty. And then, years later, we're here having a discussion about cloud seeding, about a place that used to be so dry, so hot, becoming a place that is hot and humid. Mm. A place that is changing, the landscape is shifting. We used to imagine, like now, it's October, the winter, it should be really cold. We're here, some people in t-shirts. So we're actually going through something that is actually shifting and changing. And maybe at the end of the day, what stays is the memory of what it used to be. Mm. And the thought of the young kids calling out, it's like begging out to those kids, the future. Like, help me, help me bring back something that I used to feel, which I don't feel again because I'm dried out. So I think that emotion, that feeling of something, we've all gone through that. Mm. The thing that we will forget, the thing that we will not see in the, in the future, the thing that will be maybe scarce, that's what it's about. So it doesn't matter if we shift from one place to another, mm. even though it was made for that place for the bait, even though it was made for that tree, the experience of what we go through in different places in the world, we can adjust and we can also connect to that. And I feel that's the essence of the work. And I want to ask about the role of the voice in, in your work, because in essence, what you've done here is 
you've literally gone through basically more than a f more than three octaves mm -hmm. and, and some semitones in terms of going very low and very high and layering all of that into space and yet you were you you trained in some kind of choral tradition and performative tradition but it seemed to me that you were really learning as well as you were pushing yourself mm. could that be it would that be a suggestion or am, am I wrong? You know, um, I think if you enter a studio into a recording studio and most times the work is not scripted. So I do not, what you hear, the words, everything is very much wor working with improvisation. I know that I fell in love with a tree. I know the storyline of the tree. The tree is an is addicted to salt water. That's me, addicted the to salt water. The tree drank that salt water till it died and it did not know it was dying. And everywhere became dry. Everywhere became, the, the fresh water was gone. And the tree still thinks it's alive. So you have a storyline, you have something in your head and I can imagine what it, I can imagine, and I've been to places that have been very dry. I've been to places that are, the temperature's up to 50 degrees, as I've been to places that are extremely cold. So you know that experience. So you enter a studio, the sound is there, and the first day, you record as much as you want. You go crazy. Ah! You can scream, you can shout, you can, I feel cold. I feel cold. You know that feel, you know that feeling. You try to relieve that feeling to like, oh, it's so hot. Mm. Got that. <sighs> Trying to like blow the sound of the wind against mm. the body. <sighs> you accelerate, you go faster, you go slower, slower. <gasps> you stop. <sighs> Let it go. Another scene. Slide, 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 slide. What does it feel to be sad? It starts from that place of you can slow it down. To like, <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> I know that feeling. I understand what it means. And like that, you have your mics. <gasps> Anger. can go through those emotions at a split of a second. And from there, the next day, I have all those recordings. <gasps> it was, <gasps> I can go, huh. Or it could be a moment of like, <laughs> I can decide, like I go, 
over the glue, 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 glue. So you're actually layering and layering and layering and layering till you have a mountain of words, emotions, feeling, oh, rain, 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 drain, drain, stain, pain, gain, nay, hey. What's fascinating to me is that you're also, you write poetry, and when you write your poems, you, you agonize over every word. And I'm talking about for like a haiku. And yet when you're in the studio, you just let it out in this, let's just call it scatological fashion. What is, is it, is it just this, the setting that enables that? Or is it also, something else to do with the way that you experience and embody your voice? I think it's a combination of different things. There's the embodiment of an emotion. There is experience. There is time. You have words that are there that are playing in your head. There are many things that are, I could cry you know, like because you're feeling something. And sometimes you've bottled up a few things over time. Mm. And those spaces of recording or of writing poetry could be spaces of release. Mm. I don't know when I'm going to release, but you have like six hours of release. Release in a way that you have a mic and you can just pour out. Like I'm angry now and I'm going to pour out as much as I want to pour out and it's okay, to the point that from that, I go to the extreme, so that could last for like 18 minutes of pouring out, just screaming. Mm. So you're not in the place of like anybody judging you, like you're looking at me, me looking at you, but I'm in a place where I'm looking at myself and being out of myself. I'm looking at things that I've experienced, people that I've encountered, people that I've loved, people that have felt anger, pain. I'm looking at all the things that have triggered something in me to be able to express that. Then words, words come in between that because they allow you to be able to give a form, another kind of form, which is not just like, Rah! it's like, I am angry, angry. And I can say it in my language in Bible. And that's in my language. That's in Ibibio. In English, it might be anger. It's not enough, but it allows that to happen. So you, you're actually going through, you're ranging the, the kind of language and the kind of form, the emotions, and you're collapsing them within a time frame, right? Just like the ceiling that collapsed. Yeah, like yeah. boom, bang, boom. <laughs> and, and so I feel that, um, and that's why it's improvised, mm. because it's not something that is heady. It's something that is spat out. It's something that is thrown out into the world. You're not thinking, even though you're thinking, but you're thinking in a different way. And in terms of the, the, be the beginning of how you you did sing because one of the things that I kind of 
we kind of went back and forth about was the notion of the church choir and gospel. And I asked you early on if you had sung in the choir and you mentioned to me that your mother was a singer and a composer. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you could reflect or, or contextualize some of that experience and how it informed or developed your voice. Well, there were many range and many developments that happened. There were the parts when we were at home and we would sing. My mom would sing, my sister would sing, I would sing. We all have our voices. And the funny thing is that when, for example, if my sister just comes here and she's sitting here and I go like, eh, oh, I start a song, she would just immediately fall into place with another voice. So we had this kind of polyphonic way of working with our voices at home. So when cleaning, when working, you just sang. And my mother made, you know, we would just do that. But you also, within an environment where sound, music, rhythm, is part of the way of like going through life. So you're not going through life in silence, but you're going through life in an intense cacophony. Mm -hmm. Like you're living in Lagos and it is cacophony. You wake up with generator mixed with the church, Jesus is Lord, Father Jesus, into like, into like, the next thing is, um, bam, bam, then the guy, the shoemaker, then you're like, and you're waking up, and that's what you, and then you're like, like, okay, your day has started. And the day continues like that till the next, so you are walking through space, imitating a chicken, <laughs> and nobody says this, that you're mad because the chicken and you're like and you talk to the chicken and sometimes I have my brother like talking to the dog like come on go out you know you bark to the dog and then someone is passing by and you're like but you also make so you're actually in musicality you're actually in sound you're actually in this kind of world that is intensely growing with you then you have of course the church where it's contained within this rhythm of like, Jesus is Lord, Father. <laughs> you know? And then you go in there and you, you perform that. Mm -hmm. So you're actually going through a world of multiple ways of performing. And I think that's where I kind of um, understand the different intensity and the power of the voice mm -hmm. and the power of sound within a, a, a society where you're sleeping, and I don't know how we did it, we slept with like a cacophony of, you know, you're in a flat building and everybody has a generator and you're sleeping and you're still sleeping through that. You know? What was the first song that you sang that stuck with you? I think one of the songs I remember was uh, when I was in school, in boarding school in Nigeria. And one of the songs, um, I have to remember it. And it was amazing because we had this clay, big clay pots, and you'd have a foam that would be hit against this pot and it would make this, this sound like, you get that in the tabla, in Indian, yeah, and that sound, and it was a, from Benin, it was a song from Benin, and I can't remember it so well, but that 
song or that, and you had all these voices that would sing. And another one that st struck me so hard, and I think that's when I realized that there were other kinds of ways of singing and other kinds of voices, was when I was in, we were in Queen's College, and it was a time where in Namibia, you had a lot of people that ran away from Namibia. And we had four Namibian um, students in the school, and my mother, we used to live in the school. And the first time I heard the song, was, fight! And they would sing together. So this one, fight! And the other one, fight! And then, fight! And, and they would sing, we are the fighters, we are the fighters, and Kamamari, Namibia. So they were like really fighting, singing, and still connecting to Namibia. They couldn't go back to Namibia, so they spent the whole summer there. And, and so for me, that was one of the songs that really stayed by me, because all of a sudden I saw these four voices that were so different from the way we would sing um, like the Yorubas we sing, or the Ibibios we sing, or the Ibos we sing, or the houses we sing. Mm. This came from somewhere else. But you also mentioned that your mother's songs were ones that you'd sing. And yes. You sang one to me quite recently. I wondered if you could tell us about that. This was a song my mother wrote when, um, in, when we were in Queen's College and she was teaching there, and she sang it to a whole the whole auditorium. Um, but she would write like um, songs that were related to God and were related to the power of the word of God. And this one was Iko in my language's word. Obong is the almighty. Iko Obong, Iko Obong Adihama, that's the word of the almighty, is Hama. And it starts like e when you, you hit a boom to hit hard something. I was going to say thank you so much to Ottobon Nakanga. This monograph, which also includes a text by Koyoko, who's, who spoke earlier, is available in the shop. There's only four copies left, I believe. And you can't get it anywhere else in, in the UK as of yet. And then maybe you can hunt Ottobong and get a signature as well. I, want, I, need, I need mine signed. <laughs> thank you very thank much. You. Please join us tomorrow. Thank you to Ottobong and the no, thank you to Mark. <laughs>